Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for this time this morning. God, as we spend time reflecting on Jesus and his disciples and the ones that he has sent out on mission, I pray that you will speak to us this morning. I pray that we will be ones that listen. Help us to listen. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to have the courage to be obedient to the things that you're calling us into. God, we give this time to you and pray that it will be a time that you use to to fill us and encourage us and challenge us and transform us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, over the last several weeks, we have uh, been going through uh, the letter 1 Peter, and we've been going through that looking at what words Peter has for a church that is being persecuted. Uh, last week, we wrapped that up with a message on 1 Peter chapter 4, and if you weren't here last week, I really want to encourage you to go online or download the app or, or go to the podcast and listen to that sermon from last week. Um, I don't usually give plugs for previous sermons, uh, but I think this is one that speaks a lot to where we are as a church right now. So I want to encourage you to go listen to that if you missed that. Um, in 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter is sounding off the alarm. He is saying the end is near. And this is an alarm that sounds that should be creating a sense of urgency in the community of faith. That because the end is near, the community of faith should be moving with intentionality and moving with urgency. I want to read part of that passage again. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And so because we are a future-oriented people, because we know that the end is near, we should be moving with, with great urgency around these four things. We should be spending time in prayer that we need to be mentally and spiritually alert, and that's going to energize us, and that is going to allow us to have effective prayers. And so as you walked in this morning, you saw a new prayer wall that, that was set up in the foyer. I want to encourage you to spend time at that wall, writing down your prayers, putting those prayers up on the wall, but then spending time praying over others' prayers. And so look at the prayers that others have left behind and spend time at that wall praying for one another. We need to engage in our prayer time that we have every morning. Uh, every, every Sunday, we have a time to, to spend praying with one another and for one another. And so I want to encourage you to really use that time. We talk about our church gatherings being a place where we can encourage one another. But most of us are just looking at the backs of heads, and so you're looking at the backs of heads this entire time, and, and the prayer time is a time that you have an excuse and you have permission to get out of your seat and go somewhere else in the room and be face-to-face. -face. 
Spend time face to face. And so I want to encourage you that to, to use that prayer time that we have to pray with one another. Go find someone and ask them, what can you be praying for? Take the initiative. Be intentional in engaging in that time. The second thing that Peter's telling us here is love. Love is this foundational virtue of the community of faith that we need to be showing one another love. And he says he uses this word deeply that we really have to work at it. We have to work at loving one another because it's not easy to love one another. It will take intentionality. It will take urgency for us to truly love one another. And then he says a very practical way to do this is through hospitality, that we eat together, share a meal together. Hospitality is one of the greatest ways that we can show one another love. And so last week I issued this challenge to, to sometime this summer have a meal, preferably in your home, with somebody that you haven't shared a meal with before. How many of you have done that this week already? Has anybody shared a meal yet with somebody that they haven't? All right, we've got one over here. We've got some over here. We've got one in the back. Good. Okay, so we're going to stay on this all summer. And so there are inserts in your bulletin. There's this slide that's going to be up every week. And I want to challenge you and encourage you to find somebody to share a meal with, preferably in your home. And so if your, your home just does not allow it because it's too far or some other lame excuse that you have as to why your home won't work, <laughs> seriously, invite somebody into your home, okay? All right. There's very few of you that have a real excuse to not have somebody in your home. All right. Share a meal with somebody. Just calling it like it is. All right, the, the other thing is to serve one another. We need to be serving. We need to be using our gifts. We need to use our gifts in a way that reflects the person or the, the, the being that gave us those gifts. And so if God has given you a gift, you better be using it in a way that glorifies God. So stop holding on to that gift for yourself. So this fall, we are going to be spending some time looking at our gifts and finding ways to connect those gifts into opportunities of service. So more to come on that. So we're trying to be urgent, we're trying to be intentional, and that means we're going to be intense about it, right? There's some urgency. You may not have passed this week to have somebody in your home for a meal, so get it done, all right? All right, so the rest of this summer... This is kind of where we're headed. So we're doing a couple of individual messages. I'm preaching this week and then again next week. And then through the month of July, we're going to have a series of guest speakers coming in for, for some different voices to get to hear other people who aren't wound up as tight as I am right now. And so, so look forward to July. And to give you a break, because come August, we are going to hit it hard so be prepared for August, because August we're going to be talking about what it means to intentionally make disciples as a church, and what is a, a simple process that we can take to make disciples. So August is going to be a really important month for us as a family as we talk about what's coming up next in the fall. So there's all my commercials and review. Now we're going to look at Matthew chapter 9. Once again, the text is not picked by me, the text is picked for me. And here we are in this message from Matthew where Jesus is sending out his disciples 
into a place of persecution, into a place that is hostile, we've just been looking at Peter's view of how to handle that. And here is his first test to go out and declare the kingdom of God. A couple years ago, there was the movie that came out called The Martian. And in The Martian, Matt Damon plays this scientist astronaut who is stranded on Mars all by himself. And the entire movie is him trying to survive long enough for his friends to get back to him and rescue him. And so he is trying to use his wit and his engineering and his, his science abilities to put things together to be able to survive. Things like breathing and eating are really important to him at this point. But he is all alone, completely isolated. The entire planet is empty except for Matt Damon. Now imagine if the mission were to be a little bit different and to say you're going to Mars and there is no hope of ever returning. This is a one-way ticket, a one-way trip. You're going to Mars and you're staying there until you die. There is an organization in Denmark, a nonprofit called Mars One, who has just such a plan that they want to send a group of four astronauts or four people to go colonize Mars, and every two years they're going to send more people to join them. So for two years, it's you and three other people on Mars by yourself until you die because it's a one-way ticket. Can you imagine one of these pods could be your next home as you live out the end of your days on Mars? for the sake of science and discovery. Now, it sounds like a depressing movie scenario, right? If, if the Martian ended with, and he died, then it, it, it's a depressing story. But it's a one-way ticket. And so, the idea of going on this mission does not sound appealing to many of us, right? I mean, how many of you would sign up for the Mars One mission, one-way ticket to Mars, leave your family, leave everything behind, no wife, no kids, no nothing, and you're going to Mars. Well, there's 200,000 people that have expressed interest in that, and they've culled it down to 100 people. Uh, one, of this, one of them is uh, Peter Felgentreff, and he says, it's a one-way ticket to anywhere. I would probably die on Earth if I stayed here too. So that's one, I'm, we're all going to die here, there, somewhere. We might as well die there, right, is his attitude. But as, as followers of Jesus, do we really have a mission that's much different than the Mars One mission? As we think about what it is that we are called to do and the hostile environment in which we're called to do it, the persecution that comes up, the sacrifices that have to be made, the things that we have to give up, the things that we have to turn our back on, as we look at that mission that God has called us to, instead of Mars One, it's really more like Kingdom One. We're called to participate in this kingdom. Now, we're not called to leave this place, but we're called to venture into the world as citizens of God's kingdom. And with it comes great risk, and with it comes great sacrifice. 
And so we're not having to leave this world. The mission is for this world. And so even though we're not getting on a rocket ship and heading up to Mars, we are going into a place that will be hostile. We're going to in, into an environment that will be against us. It will be an environment that will cost you everything. And that is the place that we're called into. Our journey through 1 Peter gave us instructions on how to live in such an environment. And here we get to Matthew chapter 9 and 10, and we see Jesus leading by example, going into the cities, going into the villages, teaching in the synagogues, and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And then he calls his followers to do the exact same thing. He says it's time to go into the villages, into the cities, and proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And so here, Peter and his cohort come together and they go on this trial mission. Go into the villages, go into the cities. In, in chapter 9, verse 35 through 38, Jesus is going into the cities. He's leading by example. He's healing the sick. And crowds start to gather. Crowds are coming to Jesus. They're living in this hostile environment, and they, they see life that can be found in Jesus. Matthew describes them this way. They are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They are sheep without a shepherd. They're just wandering around without anyone to lead them to water, without anyone to lead them to food. These are sheep without a shepherd, and they're looking for a new spiritual home. And Jesus is saying, this is who I have come for. And so I want you to think for a moment, who are the sheep in your lives that don't have a shepherd? Do that right now. Visualize that person. Who's, who's, what's the face? What's the name of the sheep that do not have a shepherd? They are looking for nutrition. They are looking for food. They are looking for life in all the wrong places. And they need a shepherd. They need to come to Jesus. Who are those people in your life? Do you have that picture? Do you have a person in mind? Who are the sheep? without a shepherd. Hold that person in your mind as we continue to go through Matthew now. Jesus points to them, or points them to a new future. He says they don't have a shepherd now, but the shepherd has come, and we're sending them to a new home, a new place. And this new home is the kingdom of God that's coming in and breaking into the presence. And and, and he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. This is where life is found. This home is the reign of God. It's the rule of God. It's, it's a common theme throughout Matthew. This is the kingdom of God. This is God ruling and reigning in our lives now. But while the harvest is plentiful... And the people are ripe for this opportunity. The, the news of the world, um, they're ripe for the news that the, that the kingdom of God is breaking in. There aren't enough people to work the harvest. It says the workers are few. I think of, of growing up, we had a peach tree and a pear tree and some, some cherry trees in our backyard. And, and we, would, we would work to 
to get these to produce fruit every year, which is difficult on the West Mesa in the sand and this climate. But we would try to get these to produce fruit. The problem is, is when they would actually bear fruit, whether or not we were available to actually pick the fruit, to harvest the fruit, was a little bit questionable. So oftentimes, before we could get to the ripe fruit, it was eaten up by the birds or it would fall on the ground and rot. Like you have to time it just right to get to the right fruit to make sure you can collect the fruit. And if you don't have enough people to harvest the fruit at the right time, it's just going to be eaten up by birds. It's going to go rotten. It's going to die on the tree or die on the ground, but it's ripe and ready for the harvest. But we need more people. We need more workers to get to the harvest. The harvest is ripe and ready. Jesus puts out the call. He says, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Ask. He doesn't say come up with a recruitment plan for more volunteers. He doesn't say go out and hire more people to do it professionally for you. He says ask God, the Lord of the harvest, to send out workers into the harvest field. And so as we are urgent about prayer, add to your prayer list that God will send workers into the harvest fields. Because as difficult as this neighborhood is, and as difficult and broken as this city is, the harvest is ripe, and the workers are few. And so ask the Lord of the harvest to send the workers, and be willing to step up when he says it's you. There are a few who respond to this message. These 12, this motley crew of fishermen and a tax collector and a revolutionary and a loudmouth and a betrayer, they all come together to be this mission team that Jesus is sending out. He spent some time with them modeling for them how to heal people and how to raise the dead and how to drive out demons. And, and now that he is, has modeled it for them, he sends them out on this test mission and says, hey, it's your turn. Go out into these villages, go out into these cities and do the same thing. Heal people and drive out demons. Raise people from the dead. This is your mission. Now we're just going to focus in on one group. The full mission will be given to you in chapter 28 when I'm ascending back to heaven and I'm giving you the great commission to go into all the world. But for right now, we're going to focus in on Israel. And this training mission that they're sent on has several key components. The first thing is they have a specific target. Don't go out into the, to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans. Focus in on the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is where your training mission starts. And then he gives them this specific goal. It's, it's a primary focus on proclaiming the good news. Proclaiming the good news that this new reality, the kingdom of heaven, has come near. And this is what you're to proclaim. It's that proclamation that would, it was not merely through words, but it was also through their actions and through their ability to cast out demons and heal and cure. And so they modeled it. 
but he also gives them this sustainability plan. If you're going to Mars, you want a sustainability plan, right? You want to know how much oxygen you have until um, death date, right? And so there's a sustainability plan that's set up as well. He expects the disciples to do, he doesn't expect them to do a lot of logistical planning. There's not a lot of planning involved. It's just get up and go. Don't take any gold and silver with you. Don't take any extra clothes with you. Don't take extra shoes. Don't take that big heavy suitcase with you. Just get going. And this is what you need to do. There's no extra gear. There's no extra planning. There's no long seminary degree. There's just this opportunity to go and declare the good news of Jesus. They have to be completely dependent on the hospitality of the people that they meet. They have to be completely dependent on God to supply all of their needs to fulfill this mission that he's called them into. And they're going to enter both welcoming and hostile environments, and they have to be prepared to act accordingly. And the last thing Jesus gives to them here is this picture for their future. He says, it's going to be hard. This is not an easy task. This is going to be a difficult place. It is dangerous. This training mission is going to give them a taste of the real danger that they will experience through the book of Acts and on. That this training, message, this training mission just gives them a taste of what's going to happen after Jesus is crucified and they are this new formed church and, and they have to deal with things like being an alien in exile and, and all the things that Peter addresses in First Peter that we've been going through. They are the sent ones. They are the sheep among wolves. Do you send this sheep into a pack of wolves? That's not a safe place to be. That's not what, what's really comfortable. That's not what's easy. And this is where he sends them. He sends them to the wolves. And they have to face danger from this, this, this hostile environment. And they're being attacked by the religious authorities. They're being attacked by the civil authorities. And, and they have to be prepared for that. They, they have to face alienation and separation from their families. They, they have to face the fact that there will be suffering. They have to face the fact that they have to carry their own cross. And these sent ones, these apostles, they will face all of this and even more as the New Testament continues on the story as we read through Acts and through the letters, they're going into beyond Judea, into the Roman world, into the Gentile world, and it's not an easy place to carry out the mission of God. Most will be killed and suffer in some incredible ways. And remember, Peter is sitting here as a part of this as he's being prepared for the mission. And so despite the risk, they will go because they believe that their actions and their sacrifices will have a significant impact on the world around them. That more important than their physical comfort, more important than their safety, is the benefit to the world that them being on mission will have. They are pioneers of a new creation 
that God is bringing to bear. They are colonists on this new planet, colonists of the kingdom of God who point the way for others by their teaching and by their example. These are the 12 apostles. And the same mission is given to us as a church. It's offered to us as individuals. It's offered to us as a church of Jesus Christ. The problem is that it's, it's easy for us to see the church as a safe sanctuary. It's easy for us to see the church as a place where we come to, to be encouraged and filled and lifted up, which is all a good thing for our gathering, but then it stops there. That, that, that our Christian faith, what we believe, is, is about protecting ourselves and keeping ourselves safe. We want to protect ourselves from the darkness that is out there. And we forget that Jesus has given us this training mission. He's given us this training ground to become a launching pad for the mission into the world. And that's what the church is. The church is our training ground. We come together and we train and we equip and we, we process together and we, we cheer one another on and we, we challenge one another and encourage one another. But it doesn't stop there. We're sent into the world to be his missionaries. We're sent beyond this place. We go from the training ground into the world. And so we have the same questions, the same goals. Who is our target? Who are the specific people in our lives, in our community that we are called to? Who is Jesus sending us to? And so you have, you have that picture of that lost sheep who, is the, who, who are the lost sheep in your life? That is who God is calling you to. That is your mission. To go demonstrate that the kingdom of God is near. To go model the life that is found in Christ. So who is our target? Are you willing to take the risk in order to reach that person? What's our goal? Are we proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom, both in the present, both present and future? Are our words and actions proclaiming the good news of Jesus? And then what's our plan? Do we, do we have something that is intentionally set out for us? Because if we just say, ah, yeah, we'll get to it, ah, that's not going to work. A goal that's not specified, is, is, is not intentional. Yeah, I'll have somebody over for dinner sometime. No, get it on the calendar. Make it happen. Yes, I'll have that conversation sometime. No, make it happen. Have a plan. Get it done. There's an intentionality to it. Are, are we working to just sustain this church as an institution, or are we depending on God? Are we offering peace to our neighborhoods, to strangers that we encounter? Or are we offering condemnation and fear? Are we perpetuating that, that view of Christians that they're hypocritical and anti-everything? And then what are you willing to risk? A picture of the future. What will this future look like if you are really to engage in this mission and what God has called you to? What will that look like for your future? 
Will it put you at odds with people at work? Will it put you at odds with your culture or with people at school? Will you be in a hostile environment? If you were to really do this, if you were to really live this life out, what sacrifices would you have to make? What would you have to give up? What of your time and of your talent and of your treasure would need to be completely redirected into a different direction because you're fulfilling the mission that's been given to you? Are you willing to stand up for what is right, what is just, what is true? And if we're not willing to take those risks, what does that say about our faith? And if we're not willing to, to, to walk out there and take a risk, then where do my dependencies lie? Are my dependencies on my bank account, on my career, on my job, on my house, on my family? Am I dependent on these things to keep me safe, or am I trusting in God and depending on God. And so will we sign up for this kingdom one mission? This one-way ticket into the kingdom of God that is going to come with great risk and also great reward. Great sacrifice, but the opportunity to make an incredible difference in the world around us. And eternal difference to the people in our lives will we take that risk will we join in that mission later on in chapter 10 verse 38 jesus says whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me those who find their life will lose it and those who lose their life for my sake will find it are you ready to find life? Are you ready to find life? Felgentreff of, of Mars One, he's ready to board a spaceship to Mars with no hope of return, no turning back. And he says, in terms of new ideas, you always take a risk. He says that so, it's, so that's a risk that's worth taking because sometimes the outcomes of those risks are well worth it. Sometimes the outcomes of those risks are well worth it. Jesus would say that there is no risk more worth it than the mission of the kingdom. And so are you willing to take those risks? Let's stand together. So we're going to spend some time in prayer. And there's several things that we can be praying for. There can be circumstances in our lives that are just uh, overwhelming us. We're suffering through something. We are dealing with something. It could be health. It could be relationships. It could be jobs. And we need to be praying for those things. We need to be urgently praying for those things. And we can only join with you in prayer if you will share those things with somebody else. And so I want to encourage you to find somebody to pray with this morning. We have shepherds down front, and you have friends and family all around you that would love to pray with you. So go seek out that prayer. 
I want to encourage you to, to take the lead in going to somebody and encouraging them with prayer. It's an incredible way to show love to others. You know what's going on in one another's lives. If you don't know, then go to them and ask, how can I pray for you? Move in that time. This is an opportunity for us to pray for one another, to encourage one another. If neither one of those categories fit you, then pray that God will send workers because the harvest is ripe. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so pray that the Lord of the harvest will send workers into that. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this time in your word. I pray that it will uh, cut at us in a way that inspires us and challenges us. God, help us to, to know what, what it is that you're calling us to as, as a church, as individuals. God, who are you calling us to share with? Who are those sheep that don't have a shepherd? God, give us the courage. Give us the words. Give us the actions. Give us those things so that we can be faithful to the mission you've called us to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.